0: Welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. I made the rookie podcaster mistake of drinking a milkshake right before this, so I apologize for my voice. But this week, we are going to talk about Zither Classic, yes. The Third Man, based on the uh, novel novel by Graham Greene.
1: It's a novella.
0: Uh, the novella
1: mm-hmm. Graham,
0: by Graham Greene, um, and directed by Carol Reed. Before we get started with this, and you're going to take the lead on it this week.
1: How was your week? Um, my week, actually, it's been so, So, uh, what is it, we recorded last, just a few days ago. Just a few days ago, yeah. So we're recording
0: there, in advance of your
1: actual week. Right, so <laughs> I didn't do anything between these two points, other than watch television and record with you. And get, um,
0: get ready for your trip. Yes. If you're going out of town, you will, you will be back by the time this episode drops from your trip to northern california to bob and weave around fires right. and look at volcano tubes possibly maybe mm. depending on where the fires are oh the fires have come to california i feel like they're late this year but they're here now all right since we didn't really do much in the in the meantime you want to just dive right into this
1: Okay, so I have to preface this by saying this is one of my favorite films. We watched The Third Man this week. We did. All right.
0: We bought it. It mm. was on Amazon Prime. We could rent it for $3.99 or buy it for four ninety nine. Which
1: I don't understand. This also is a film that has several different versions. Oh, yeah? Um, there's one that was uh, edited for American release uh, <clears throat> under the influence of David Selznick.
0: Oh, he's the worst. Yes. So, but also, he had his fingers in literally every pie. Gross.
1: <laughs> but um, the film itself actually was... The film and novella kind of generated each other. Oh, okay. So it's it's based on a book in that Graham Greene... L- wrote a book in front of book to, right. to,
0: like, flush out what he was going to do for the movie? Yes. Oh, interesting.
1: So it starts with Holly um, Martin...
0: Holly Morton, who
1: is a pulp fiction author.
0: He's played by Joseph Cotton. He's he was in a movie we saw recently.
1: Yes, he was. He and was a
0: police in that.
1: He's an interesting actor, too. I um, had a very long career and he started with the Mercury Theater.
0: is if you told a police sketch artist to draw a handsome man, a handsome European man, he would say, here's a white man of handsomeness, and then that is Joseph Cotton. He is Relatively bland. He's pretty tall. That mm-hmm. seems to be his defining feature.
1: He's a, he's a very. He also has a wonderful voice. He does have a good voice. He used to narrate um, this documentary series that was run at the end of, like, for instance, when a television program ran short in the old days, mm-hmm. they would have uh, these sort of segments. Uh, I can't remember what they were called. And he would narrate them, and he had this really wonderful voice. I remember. But he uh, he's a very interesting actor. Um,
0: Are we going to see any more of him?
1: We might. He, he had the great good fortune of meeting and befriending one of the great geniuses of the film world, in Orson Welles. Yay! Back hey when... guys,
0: Orson Welles is in this movie. Right. It's not for a while, though.
1: Yes. <laughs> but uh, he's... Uh, and Welles said of him... you're truly lucky to be tall and thin and have curly hair. You can also move about the stage without running into the furniture. But these are fringe assets. I'm afraid you'll never make it as an actor. But as a star, I think you might have hit the jackpot.
0: There you go. He is of a certain type where, yes, um, he's a serviceable actor, Mm -hmm. and he's great on screen, but he isn't Meryl Streep, or Orson Welles, even. Right, he's not
1: one of those actors who can pull off a great variety of parts. He's not, but he's very, he's he's a very funny kind of everyman. Yeah, and in that respect, he reminds me a lot of other actors like Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, for instance, in that.
0: Jimmy Stewart was also a fantastic actor. Right. Not to say that. Joseph Cotton isn't, but maybe wasn't asked to stretch that much. Cause well,
1: Joseph Cotton also admitted that he, he, he just liked doing this. It wasn't. And he, if we do at any point, if anybody in our audience, I'm not sure it's actually on our list, gets to see the film Shadow of a Doubt, he mm-hmm. does. He's very eager to point out that Carol Reed thought The Third Man was his best film, that Alfred Hitchcock thought Shadow of a Doubt was his best film, where he plays a serial killer. Oh, he's um, also
0: in Citizen Kane and the and Magnificent Amber Amberson? Right. So that thing that you said about Orson Welles in our last
1: right. episode also goes for Joseph Cotton. Right, which is to say that Orson Welles felt that Magnificent Ambersons was a, his, his best achievement as a filmmaker. And Joseph Cotton's quick to point out, but I was in all three. Yeah. So he benefited from, and he's really personable, I think. That's something that we noticed right away in this film. Because yes. Yeah, he, This is after the Second World War, and the story is in the English cut, which is what we saw. He is arrived in Vienna. It's directly after the Second World War. Yes. We're told very briefly in a narration that was done by the director himself, Carol Reed. And I think... It's meant to be the voice of one of the, the other smugglers in the area.
0: Gotcha. It was confusing. I was mm-hmm. like, "Who's is this voiceover? What's happening?" Because right. it's a, it's an assertive voiceover. There's a choice with the tone and the language for
1: it. Right, short. but at, when he's um, he doesn't come back for the entire film. No, it's just a person who you can imagine sitting in a club somewhere saying, "You know," or a cafe in Vienna.
0: Yeah, let me tell you the story that I
1: that I that remember back in the, or the or old back days back when years. Vienna was d- when the city was divided into equal parts.
0: I never knew the old Vienna before the war with its Strauss music, its glamour and easy charm. Constantinople suited me better. I really got to know it the classic period of the black market. We'd run anything if people wanted it enough and had the money to pay. Of course, a situation like that does tempt amateurs. But, well, you know, they can't stay the course like a professional. Now, the city is divided into four zones, you know, each occupied by a power... The American, the British, the Russian, and the French. but The center of the city, that's international, policed by an international patrol. One member of each of the four powers. Wonderful. What a hope they had. All strangers to the place, and none of them could speak the same language, except a sort of smattering of German. Good fellows on the whole. They did their best, you know. Vienna doesn't really look any worse than a lot of other European cities. Bombed about a bit. Oh, I was going to tell you, wait, I was going to tell you about Holly Martins, an American, came all the way here to visit a friend of his. His name was Lime, Harry Lime. Now, Martins was broke, and Lime had offered him some, some sort, I don't know, some sort of job. Anyway, there he was, poor chap, happy as a lark and without a scent. Um, so, Holly Martins is a writer.
1: He's a pulp writer. He writes... Um, Westerns. Westerns, which is something that's really hard to explain to a modern audience. Because there's so few Western writers there were at the time.
0: Yeah, I guess so. There mm. but they were super common. They're like dime store or er, well, yes. dime dime novels.
1: And we were only I mean Westerns were like the thing. We were what at that point, they were about sixty years away from the old West. So it was something mm. that happened within a century of the lifetime of the reader right so and
0: i know that those sorts of books were also very popular in europe weirdly yes because there was this fetish fetishization of the american west Well,
1: the same way that we for instance or even i read rudyard kipling growing up sure the indian yep. frontier was the equivalent yeah he's it's a this problematic wild situation place and, uh, that uh, was filled with uh, either loyal servants or dignified enemies or that kind of thing.
0: Assassins and, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, so So he's going home or going to meet his friend. He's going to meet his friend because he's flat broke. He's going to meet his friend Harry Lime. And Harry Lime was...
0: It's not a Lime with a toupee on it.
1: No. That's all
0: I can picture.
1: (laughs) Harry Lime, who is a, a friend, offered him a job and when the First thing that happens when Holly Martin arrives is that he discovers that Harry Lime is dead. Yes. He was,
0: what, struck by a car in front of crossing his building, crossing in the street, and he, the first sort of real scene we have, other than him arriving and going to the house and hearing that he's not there, mm-hmm. is him at the
1: funeral. Right. <laughs> or the and burial, even. Not even, like, funeral. So he goes and he sees a number of suspicious characters. And yes. an extraordinarily beautiful young woman, Anna uh who's played by uh, uh Alita Bali. And doesn't say a word, but he's sort of instantly smitten with her. And there's a strange man who carries a little dog with him, there's just a number of characters, and members of the uh of the Royal Military. Mm. Royal Military Police, rather. Yeah. They're played by Bernard Lee and Trevor Howard. Trevor Howard in particular becomes one of the great lights of the English stage and screen. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what makes this movie special is seeing all these remarkable actors like tucked away in all the parts of it. So, Holly goes to a bar and gets drunk. Just Yeah. Hammered.
0: Holly doesn't know what he's going to do with himself. It's funny because Holly's not Particularly likable because Holly is sad that his friend is dead, but more sad that he doesn't have a jaw.
1: Right. So, but he's crushed also. He's, he has no idea how he's going to get back to right. the States, yeah. for one thing. And yeah. that's a very real concern. Uh, he winds up getting both befriending and being assaulted. Mm-hmm. By the military officers, yeah, one of whom uh, Bernard Lee's character, who later on, as we're seeing in Goldfinger, becomes very famous as James Bond's boss. Okay, he's the original he's M. He's the
0: original M. Okay,
1: um, and uh, and Trevor Howard is playing Major Calloway. I want to keep saying that because one of the he keeps German calling him Callahan, and he's
0: like Calloway. I'm British, not Irish. Right. And then he keeps doing, he keeps calling him Callahan on purpose. Yeah, one of the running gags in this film
1: is that Holly does not understand anything about this world that he's in. He's completely lost. He doesn't know who these people are. He doesn't speak German, which you'd think you'd familiarize yourself with before going I mean, to you, it took you a long time to get to Europe then. You could have
0: picked up a little book that would give you some simple phrases.
1: Right, but he thought <laughs> that, that his great friend Harry Lyme, who was just the life of the party, Harry Lyme, who what was his comment? That he was lonely every day before he met him? Yeah. Um, which was really, that's lovely. The military officers are trying to get information out of him about Harry Lyme. And the first encounter, the one that leads to him getting rapped sharply in the mouth, has to do with the fact that Lyon has some sort of sinister reputation, and they're happy he's dead. Yeah, especially Calloway.
0: Here's the here's the quote: "Back in school, I was never so lonesome in my life until he showed up."
1: Wow, that's a great Graham Greene kind of.
0: I.e., he didn't know how he creates a hole in his absence. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh so one of the the um one of the first things that happens is this encounter with the police officers. After that, he is he's really trying to find a place to to, uh, to settle it. What is he going to do? He befriends the officer who strangely enough struck him, who's a fan of his writing. Yeah. And he arranges for uh, Holly to give a lecture in two days.
0: He's the one who start, uh, is, they go. He goes to the bar because they offer to buy him a drink, right? right? Mm-hmm. And then he gets drunk and then they have a fight. And then... Fight. <laughs> they fight? Well, and then the guy says to the a man who is running a, a, a lecture series, right. this is a famous American author, you should have him speak. And Holly white mans his way into a place to stay at a job right, by just going, yeah, 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 totally famous, Calloway totally an author, totally has things I can despite, say to your author. Despite,
1: thing, despite everything, Calloway is trying to get him out of town, is willing to, you know, I'll put you on a plane going mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. and I will put Don't you worry for, about it for the night, yeah. but you have to, um, you, you know, you have to be out of here tomorrow, yeah. and then of course he's able to get in uh, good with the uh, literary society and stay for another couple of days. And during these couple of days, he begins to formulate an idea about Harry Lyme and how he was killed. Mostly it's put together from speaking to the porter at Lyme's hotel.
0: The porter at Lyme's hotel, who was the first one who said, oh, that dude died. Right. And we find out what he...
1: Well, the, the suspicious... He
0: saw. Right, he saw what happened. Mm-hmm. He saw the after... He heard what happened, right. which was Harry Lime got hit by his own driver.
1: Right. So the suspicious thing is that, well, you know, and again, uh, Holly, being very suspicious, goes, well, he was hit by his own driver. And his doctor had waved to him. He'd crossed the street and got hit by his own driver. It's like, what was his doctor doing? And there? then his
0: friend was there. Right.
1: All these and his friend and... and right.
0: Well, no, the doctor... Came after, it was to what? To, I thought the doctor wasn't who waved at him, but it was somebody. It was a the the, the third man, but that's mm-hmm. not right because it's actually the fourth man. Because he it's the guy who was with the guy he waved to as right. he's or oh, who waved to him as he's crossing. He is struck by his driver, and then the doctor comes along after the the two friends that were there were dragging him right to so the, the across the street.
1: And he gets the names of the people. There's a Romanian name for Pesco. Pesco. And he carried Lyme across the street to where he expired. Yeah. Right? And... And so the doctor is like...
0: Uh, the, the doctor came along later. Right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that is the story he gets on the floor. But then the porter is like, Yeah, I heard the accident and I came through the window and I saw the two people that you're talking about and a third man with him. Well, and
1: that becomes a, <laughs> the question of the film. Who's the Who's third, third man? man?
0: Who's the third man? The, uh, the th- and then the original... And and uh Holly thinks, oh, the third man's the doctor. He's like, no, 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 I saw the doctor come separately. So the doctor's the fourth man, I guess. <laughs> um, and presumably, in all of this, there's a fifth man, the driver, and a sixth man, Harry Lime. There are six
1: people <laughs> involved. Well, the... He meets this character... Uh, and again, they're just characters. Baron Kurtz. Yeah. Uh, and he tells Martins about the Albanian... I mean, excuse me, the Romanian. Because they're identified by their nationalities here. Yeah. Um, and also, very much like at Casablanca, there's a premium on passports and having papers. Because at any given moment, you could be stopped and checked for papers. Mm-hmm. And then kept in like for instance the russians control part of the city yeah yeah so he's baron kurtz is a strange man with a dog yes a little dog uh and he uh is just dropping information to and uh, to holly and introducing him to people almost as like he's trying to provoke an interest in him and then he takes holly to meet anna which is the woman that he saw at the funeral
0: yes uh Lime's girlfriend.
1: Right. And
0: she's, um, she's an actress and singer in a show.
1: Yes, he goes to see her in a show. He's instantly smitten. He goes backstage to see her. He wants to find more information, but mostly he seems to be really interested in finding out more about um, Harry Lyme. And what, what exactly happened, happened?
0: Who all was involved? Well, because he's gotten this story from three people, and all of them have corroborated those stories, and all of them knew this man. And I think at this point he's got to know from the experience he's had with Harry Lyme that mm, maybe people who know him might want to do him harm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And that's, that's uh, he, he finds the information, or rather, he, he thinks that it was a setup, obviously, if his own driver killed him and the people who signed off were these vaguely sinister characters. Yeah. And then Baron Kurtz is telling him about uh, the people who wanted Harry out of the picture. Yeah. He goes to Major Callaway and says, Why aren't you investigating this? Yeah. He's, he does do, to a certain extent, sort of an ugly American.
0: Yeah, he does. He, why can't he, you, he, he, does, he also does a, I need to see your manager. Right.
1: He, why can't you he guys pull your things bit. together? Yeah. Why can't you do this? If it was America, we would have solved that kind of thing. Yeah, which is untrue, but that's fine. Calloway informs him that, um, that Harry Lyme was wanted by a lot of people.
0: Yep, because he was a dirtbag.
1: He was smuggling. And at first... Which is
0: that's not necessarily right. Holly
1: thinks it's (laughs) innocuous. It's like smuggling cigarettes, smuggling tires, smuggling. His thing though was that he was responsible using ProPesco, who was the uh, who worked at a hospital, stealing quite a bit of penicillin over time, yeah, watering down the penicillin and selling it on the black market, yeah. So
0: not not, he wasn't just smuggling. Just smuggling is a way that people get by. Mm -hmm. He was stealing a drug that saves lives and then turning it into a drug that kills people and then selling that to every quadrant of this city. So every single group is
1: like, well, this dude's killing children, so fuck him a little bit. Well, the danger of it is that... With it being watered down, you don't know what he cut it with, more or less. So you don't know what else is in it. Also, you are go—you're
0: giving the a a life-saving dose to somebody, and then they die because they—it wasn't that. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's uh, it's real shitty, (laughs) y'all. Based on that, Martin's decides maybe I should leave.
0: Yeah, maybe this is none of my business. I should just get out because apparently my childhood friend and. How, my he's pretty self-centered, so he's also going to be thinking, what the fuck was he going to have me do?
1: Well, that's it. He was going to... that's Like, am I, I f- making
0: marketing materials for this? Like, what the fuck are you... If this is your business, uh-huh. and you offered me a job, what the fuck were you thinking I was going to do?
1: That's the question. And <laughs> later... Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. So... He begins to see where this is all not going to get him anywhere. He's investigating a person, he's trying to clear his friend's name and it turns out his friend was a real darkbag. Yeah. So he goes to say goodbye to Anna. Yeah. It was nice meeting you. You're a very pretty lady. Mm-hmm. And he tries to, he makes these really kind of almost embarrassing overtures. Yeah, he's
0: uh he's a bit ridiculous to her. And and she
1: is un. she's interest, completely she not uninterested. And not the thing interested. is that what I think is the most compelling thing about her character is that she's really just stuck on Harry Lyme. And she will not... Even if he is the monster that
0: yeah, everyone's I,
1: claiming... Which
0: makes me really, like, girl. Now, oh, we should say, she is in a precarious situation. Right. Because she has forged papers.
1: That Harry Lyme got for her. No. <laughs> yes.
0: Um, because she is... Uh, w- not Ukrainian, but like that. Uh, Czech, I think it was. She's Czech. Czech, and the way that the situation is in the city, and the way that the ch- situation is with uh, the Czech Republic, and you know the Slova- Slov- Slovakian Republic or whatever it is now that used to be Czechoslovakia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and was at this time um, is that the Russians would basically be like, "Oh, she's ours," Right. and then they would maybe disappear her into the bowels of Russia and we never see her again. So she is not trying to live that life. And so she is, she's in Austria with forged papers, but in being involved in all of this, she's gotten swept up and they have taken her passport from her. They know it is a fake. They have let her go on her own recognizance, but at any moment they could sweep in and. I hand her over to the Russians, and then she's, you know, a goner for all intents and purposes. Um, and that keeps happening because... And, and I really thought that we were going to do more with papers because that at the police station, they're constantly... There's one dude who looks like Toby... Um, what's his name? The... The little British guy that played...
1: Oh, like Toby Jones. Toby
0: Jones. He yeah. looks like, he like has Toby Jones vibes, and he keeps coming through and going, I've got more questions on these Russian papers. I've got more questions on these papers that this young lady has. I've got some more questions about those papers. Like, he comes through a bunch of times. I'm like, is that what the crux of this whole thing is? Is whoever is the forger for these? No, no. <laughs> it's just that one character, that one background character, really had a heart on for those papers.
1: Well, he's, uh, he's interesting because... One of the things I noticed watching this film is how many echoes of it there are in films now. Sure. And it reminds me of the character in Boogie Nights. Oh,
0: I've never seen Boogie which
1: Nights. Which is, there's the cinematographer who's always interrupting people's important conversations to talk about what lens he wants to use.
0: Oh, okay. So that's like...
1: Yeah, okay. as a matter of fact, I was watching... Um, there's a scene in, uh, in The Departed where... Matt Damon and oh, spoil um, for me though.
0: I saw the watch.
1: Vera Farmiga mm-hmm. have an interaction that's literally lifted right out of the third man. Oh wow. And it's like, oh, that was that was Martin Scorsese's tip of the hat yeah, to right, that film. Right.
0: Okay, so he tries to say bye to her. Where are we at? Oh. And then a cat gives everything away.
1: Right. So the cat she <laughs> said earlier, when she's in his apartment, she's in Harry's apartment. Because one of the things that had happened earlier is that the porter was going to tell him more information. He calls, um, he calls Holly, or rather, he tells Holly, I wanted to tell you this, but my wife was around and she uh-huh. was paying attention. To, and there was a, a scene earlier where when Holly is trying in a very ham fisted way to get information from the porter, that he, um, he starts an argument. And there's a little boy, a very mm-hmm. kind of tiny cherubic, adorable baby. Kind of like, but he has a also
0: another thing where I was like, "What's going to come out of this?" Nothing. Kind really. of
1: almost grim look on his face. He looks like an Edward Gorey drawing of a child. Yes. such small
0: eyes. And he's small eyes
1: he overhears boy. Holly and the, the, the man having an argument. And then later, Holly and this guy kind of reconcile, but it's in front of the man's wife. And she keeps interrupting so that he doesn't give out any more information than he needs to. And eventually he tells Holly, well, there's something I, I do ha- I know. Something's wrong about this whole murder thing. And I can tell you, but you'll have to come and see me at the hotel here that, that uh, um, Lyme was renting. Holly goes and shows up. And the guy is dead. Oh, right. And they're standing outside. He and, and Anna Oh my god. So, uh, and as they are waiting, the little round faced kid sees him and puts two and two together. You can just see it turning in his head and starts announcing that Holly is the murderer. Oh right. So suddenly there's people chasing Holly around Austria. He has no idea where he is. <laughs> he's trying to Yeah, get no, away. he's just running. <laughs> um but anyhow, so at this point, um he's saying goodbye to Anna. Yeah. Because he is feeling like this is it. They've proved it to me. They've told me they proved it to me beyond the shadow of a doubt what happened. And that's unforgivable. I need to go back home. They're paying my ticket anyhow. And there's a cat that was living in Lime's apartment that never took to anybody. It was always kind of hissing and scratching at people, mm-hmm. except for Harry. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Cat is wandering around and
0: the outside they're outside right. this is outside after he said goodbye to anna he's walking down the street outside and he of f- line Place. He's being followed and he's yes he hears some steps all you the other thing we should talk about real quick before this because this is a scene that relies on it this film was filmed in post-war vienna
1: mm-hmm.
0: the piles of rubble are piles of rubble left over from the bombing of vienna during world war Two. right like we are seeing, like, it is high production value by dint of shooting in Vienna in 1948. That's it. That's what did it. That's what made these sets. They just found the sets like
1: this and mm-hmm. were like, yep. Right. <laughs> and well, that, that's kind of what lends it sort of this sort of this credibility. It mm-hmm. feels almost semi-documentary mm-hmm. in approach. It,
0: yeah, kind of, yeah.
1: And Graham Greene went there to gather material to write this film, the mm-hmm. screenplay, Sees what's going on, starts giving him even writing even more background information than he uh, thought he was going to write, and the novella that he wrote is different from the film in several ways, which we'll discuss later on. But there's even different versions of, or different versions of the screenplay. Originally, it was supposed to be an English protagonist, mm. and Graham Greene notoriously had an issue with Americans. And so that comes out, there's a lot of kind of very quiet jabs at Americans, the way they behave, you know, in European spaces. But Holly thinks he's being followed. He sees the cat wandering around into an open doorway. And start rubbing up on something.
0: It's right. just a shadow at first.
1: He's yelling and shouting at... at like, I see you, right. come out
0: and come out with your hands up, or like, whatever, or like, yeah. A
1: second story, which again, he's acting like he's in a Western. All right, let's settle this right here. <laughs> right. A light flashes from an upstairs walk-up, and you get Orson Welles' face framed completely, filling the frame. Filling the frame, so big. Such a big brown face. Right, incredibly boyish, Kind of prankish smile on his face. It's it is a great image because it kind of captures who this person is and why he's able to hoodwink people. Yep, and he then has, he's, and he and turns around and takes off. Right, he <laughs> takes off and he
0: runs, and they which is not what I expect at that mm-hmm. point. It's so funny to me because also I don't picture Orson Welles running at all. Right, and he is just booking it down the back. You're only seeing the shadow. Right. And hearing the footsteps, but I'm just like that's not what Orson Welles does. Orson <laughs> <laughs> Welles is
1: not a runner. <laughs> but yeah, it was it's a really great image, I think. I the um it's that's that that scene in itself is like the culmination of a lot of what is going on in the film. There's a zither hit uh, the, um theme that comes with his appearances. Yeah. And like I said, the, the expression on his face, like, oh, well, he caught me, and it's very much a kind of boys-will-be-boys boys attitude, which is exactly why he's gotten so far in this world and also what proves to be later on his undoing. Um, Holly tries to follow him, but again, Harry Lyon has lived in Vienna, and Holly has no idea what he's doing.
0: But also he runs into a plaza. Mm-hmm yeah a it's plaza a dead there's end no there. there's a plaza but there's no one there right there there's is a kiosk a kiosk in the middle of it
1: so he runs and tells he uh, tells the
0: cops the police he's like um so you know my buddy who we definitely thought was dead and you definitely didn't care was dead but um did want dead not he's uh not I don't think he's dead I saw him one and then I can't believe Callahan was like yeah let's go check it out
1: Callaway yep <laughs> Calloway. So, uh, after that, the Calloway and um, Sergeant Payne, go ahead. They follow uh,
0: Holly into the mm-hmm. plaza where he lost them, and then they do go up to the kiosk and open it, and there are stairs down.
1: Into the sewers. They're
0: like, all right, all right, all right, let's exhume that body. <laughs> and so they do, and it is not Harry Lyme. Unsurprising.
1: It's Mr. Profesco.
0: Uh yes, so he is the one, the orderly that stole the penicillin for Lyme. And at this point, we know Anna's gonna get sent to the Soviet sector. Um, and,
1: by the way, it's the Soviets, the French, the Americans, and the English. Okay, those are the divisions.
0: I don't know why America didn't need to be there. We're not Europe. America didn't need to
1: rewrite the Japanese constitution after the war, but it did.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yes, because we're so uh, good with our own. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. So what's what now? They're like, okay. Well, we're gonna. You still have to go. We're gonna send her to the Soviets, and uh, we're gonna chase Harry Lyme down, and we're gonna
1: kill him. Now, this is where it becomes where Holly's kind of. I don't know. I like the guy. I would like him if he was a real person who existed in real life. He's kind of pathetic. He is so infatuated with Anna that he will do something. He's trying to create a gesture to save her from her fate as a soviet citizen
0: i actually think it's more that he's he's really about himself he's really about getting himself the most
1: you think so i
0: do i do i will say is it before or after the ferris wheel that he gets kidnapped but it's not really a kidnapping He gets into the back of a car, and the car will not tell him where he is going, and it's taking him out, and he's like, well, this is how I die, and then it turns out it's taking him to, okay, so that's basically now, right, Right. so he gets into a car, and he's like, oh, thank God, like, he thinks that this car is taking him away from whatever bad, bad situation Mm -hmm. it is, um, because he was just getting back to the hotel, so he gets into this car and he goes, and the, the driver is not talking to him. Whether that's because he doesn't speak English, we don't know. Right. He's just driving. And he's driving him into parts of the city that he doesn't At know.
1: At a very big pace.
0: Very quickly because, turns out they're late. And he takes them to the literary society who had paid for him to stay and give this talk that he is unprepared for because he has not thought about it for more than three and a half seconds. Um... But, yeah, this whole time, like, you're watching him being driven through the streets, freaking the fuck out, because he's like, I'm about to be killed, I'm about to be killed, I'm about to be killed. And then they take him to this, um, it looks like this a lecture, hotel. yes, By and it's religion. a bunch right. of old women who have questions about literature that he is ill-prepared to answer, right. and he just makes an ass of himself on the stage, but does not care, Right,
1: because he does not care. But he's also preoccupied by the fact that Harry Lyme is still alive. There's all these other things going on. I
0: understand that. Yeah, but I know, you have I been... Your, your hotel has been paid for. You could have done an hour of prep for this and remembered when the fuck it was going to be. Although the dude that... Ke- he keeps seeing the guy that agreed to have him stay mm-hmm. and whatever. And he's like, I'll get you those details soon. And I'm like, okay, well... If you never got him details, then I guess I can't. Well, really also, put this I, I like, on him.
1: And again, from the point of view, as a writer and knowing, again, Graham Greene is a writer who's very familiar to me. Uh, the whole idea that he writes Westerns and people yeah. are asking questions like, well, how do you feel about stream of consciousness in a novel? And he's like, what? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> and going, know, what, what do you, you think doing? about James Joyce? He's like, what? He oh, yeah. you know, like
0: writes. Yeah. He has no opinion also, whatsoever. That's a bad question. I'm sorry. I'm just going right. to critique the critique. The audience here, why would you ask an author what they thought about James Joyce? Are they an expert on James James Joyce? What are you talking
1: about? James? This Again, this is part of when it took place. James Joyce's kind of fiction was still very new to the world.
0: I don't... That's fine. You are going to see an American author. Why are you asking him his opinion on another author? It's
1: just... It's like, what is this group? What are you doing here? It seems like a bunch of people who don't have anybody else to talk to about this because they've all been bombed, and this is their their saving grace. They begin walking out on him.
0: Yeah, no, they when do. he
1: can't answer questions, so it's it's sort of humiliating. It's, it's
0: just a weird. I don't. Maybe I just come from a place where I hate question
1: and answer sessions because so the questions are dumb We did that shit. though. We both of us worked at Cody's in Berkeley, uh-huh. and we both worked the event staff. Uh huh. Um, your
0: questions are always dumb as shit. Yes, uh, and I extend this out to also Terry Gross asks dumb as shit questions. Okay. I know she's well loved, but man, I cannot stand that woman. She has the most basic bullshit, and then doesn't accept an answer. I just, I don't. Okay. I don't. I I don't so. She's beloved, and I just can't. Okay, sorry. Okay, All right. so, yeah. so that happens, but now is. He gets a note, right? He gets a right. note from Harry Lime, and he's like,
1: come by yourself at midnight to this place. Sort of. <laughs> well, he gets a note, and he's going to meet him by the Ferris wheel. But the
0: Ferris wheel, so romantic.
1: And they both get into the Ferris wheel, because Harry Lime does not want to be out in the open for any amount of nope. time. Because there are four police forces looking for looking him. Looking for him. And probably... Non police people um,
0: You are killing people right. indiscriminately
1: with your nefarious behavior. Not only that, there are gangsters who probably want a piece of him. There are other smugglers. There are. Oh, you
0: guys, we figured out who the third man is.
1: It's actually the first man, it's Harry Lyne. But <laughs> so he winds up having this conversation, and this is a really interesting scene because Orson Welles and uh, Joseph Cotton, as we said before, have a history. Yeah. Um, as an actor, he's the actor who found Joseph Codden and put him in the Mercury Theater, and you know, essentially made him a star. And so there's a really interesting interaction that ranges from being very menacing to where Harry Lime opens the door of uh, the cabin, rather because these are very large of uh, the Ferris wheel, and makes suggestions that he might push him out. Push him out, yeah. And then closes the door. Oh, you wouldn't hurt me and I wouldn't hurt you, blah 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 blah, that kind of thing, or vice versa. Yeah. And then Collie tries to rationalize with him, like, what are you doing? Yeah, what the fuck, dude? What the mean, fu- like what the actual fuck though? Are you doing you there are people dying and he Money, gi- money,
0: money, money
1: He gives money. this Money <laughs> really bizarre well bizarre. But he's
0: like up no, about these like,
1: people? These people are not. When we reach the peak of the car- uh, the first wheel, he says, Look down at those tiny little people. Yeah. and He's trying to lure them to the, thing, so it, the the window or rather right so the door. He's going push, him push over them out. Push yeah. them out. No, I'm not that uh, stupid.
0: I understand how small they are from here.
1: Thanks. <laughs> he said, those are dots, right? Those ants down the ants, there? you don't. If someone about. pushed their thumb, yeah. like and uh. squashed them, would it matter to you? He's
0: uh Psychopath! Yeah, he's
1: completely <laughs> justified. At
0: the very least, a sociopath, yeah. Right,
1: he's completely justified his behavior. And uh, so he's, he's trying to recruit uh, oh. Holly. Or he at the also, very
0: least, it's like where you could get the fuck out of town and like, right. we don't need to be involved with each
1: other. I love the fact that also the first thing he asks Holly is, you know, he complains about is his indigestion it's like you're giving people fake penicillin but you're being really on the upset run about is being... really
0: rough on my digestive system
1: and holly on the meanwhile and this is why i think it has more to do with anna is actually saying "Well, what about anna what about uh what about her look at the way you've treated her and he's yeah. like what who oh, yeah. once <laughs>
0: again ants because i'm a narcissist right. and you are not humans to me i do not care
1: about you and then he ends after he's able. To, they get off the the Ferris wheel. And they part company, and he says, "You know what the fellow said? <laughs> In Italy, for thirty years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder, and bloodshed. But they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. Mm. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love and five hundred years of democracy and peace. And what did they produce? The cuckoo clock. Mm-hmm. And then he That's just good chocolate."
0: Yeah. And then (laughs) then Calloway comes and is like, hey, why don't you help us? And Martin's is like, what are you going to do for me? And by me, I mean, what are you going to do for Anna? Get her out of the city and I will help. I will knock on my friend because he's a bad dude and did want to push me out of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's almost as if when it came to his own skin, he began to realize, oh, there's nothing that he won't do. There's
0: nothing he won't do.
1: Yeah. If it means
0: protecting himself, there's nothing he won't do.
1: And so they're they're trying to. He still doesn't want to do the deed. He still doesn't want to turn Harry in. And we have a scene where Howley is taking him back to the airport for the
0: 15th time or something. He makes
1: a stop. Stop. Why don't you come in with me? I have some. He makes an excuse. He's actually going to a ward full of children that have been affected by Lyme's... By the
0: penicillin. ...doctored penicillin. Yeah.
1: And there's a really effective shot of a teddy bear being taken away from what we can assume is a lifeless child and put on an empty chair, and you're like, oh, shit. This is the end result of his smuggling. So he makes this agreement that he's going to turn Lyme in.
0: Yeah. He says, get Anne out of the country. Get her to... Where is she going? Just out of Vienna. Mm-hmm. Away from the Soviet um, forces. And safe. And then... But then his dumb ass... The man in this fucking... His dumb ass has to go to the train station to watch her leave. And she sees him and she's like...
1: What are you doing here? Minute. You're supposed to be at the airport. Yeah,
0: and she gets off and she's like, I'm not going to be the the cost. I'm not going to... What does she
1: say? Which is a really interesting kind of development for her character too, because she's going to... And again, this is what makes her character interesting, to me. She's going to go down with his ship. Right? Harry Lime is rotten, but she is going to stick with him no matter what, and she's going to resist the blandishments of the handsome stranger from America. She is going to... She's just really stubborn at this point.
0: Um, that's right. She gets off, and they're fighting, and he says, Oh, Anna, why do we always have to quarrel, qu- quarrel, quarrel, have to quarrel? And she says, If you want to sell your services, I'm not willing to be the price. I loved him. You loved him. What good have we done him? Love. Look at yourself. They have a name for faces like that. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, not having it. Um but he's still gonna do the thing. He's still gonna do it because babies are dying.
1: So he winds up in the cafe. He has the arrangements to meet Harry. Anna is there. Harry shows up, opens the door. Anna shouts a warning to him. You dumb bitch. And he seems to, and that's the confusing part. Like seeing that Harry almost makes the overture to like take her with him. And then realizes the police are after him. Yeah, and that, no, and I gotta run, and right, this bitch he is has to take heels, off.
0: Not interested.
1: And she's like, "Run, Harry, run!" So then becomes like um, this scene that's out of *Les Misérables*, where yeah. we're running through the sewers of Vienna, and we're being pursued by, by like
0: a bunch of different types of police. Right, <laughs> all sorts of different dogs. Places. Like, the whole nine yards.
1: I was really interested in how good that scene was and how exciting it was. Even though I knew that the whole film was leading up to this, right? Speaking of, like, last week when we were talking about Thelma and Louise, the whole yep. movie's leading up to this big moment yep. that it just cuts short. This scene has just the right length where yep. shadows being thrown up against yep. the wall. This is it's something that imitated so many times. In the
0: black and white, it is beautiful. Right. And the music is so good and right. frenetic and, like and keeps
1: you with it right and Um, you see how like every it's laid out in such a way that every opportunity he has to get somewhere is the french is the russians is the british is the americans and so finally he he's running up there's one opportunity for him to escape through like a manhole he's climbing up a ladder and and he's been
0: shot at this point calloway shot him so he's wounded he killed um, Payne, though. The, oh, he, the, the, the
1: reason thing. why he killed Payne, though, is certainly so sad is that Payne was trying to save Holly. Because oh. Holly now is furious. That's it's right. Like, so Payne jumps in the way of the bullet and gets it. There's Payne's one fan in Europe. <laughs> I mean, Holly's, one, Holly's one fan one one Europe. in Europe. One nice. leader in Europe gets shot. Yeah. And now he's just furious. So he picks up Payne's gun. And. He walks over to where Lime is trying to get through the manhole. Yeah, push but it up. He,
0: can't, he can't lift it with the wound and the ankle. Right. And, and he's yeah.
1: bleeding and everything. And there's a weird kind of moment of quiet ascent where Lime is like, as much as says, don't let them take me alive.
0: Yeah, and Calloway's shouting, shoot him on sight,
1: mm-hmm. mostly, because otherwise he's going to shoot
0: you. He, he gives no fucks. Right. <laughs> he's made it very clear that he gives no fucks, and he will be shooting you.
1: And so, Holly does it. He shoots
0: Harry Lime. Holly Martins shoots Harry Lime using Sergeant Payne's revolver.
1: Which again is like the ending of one of his westerns, almost. You know, yep. He Shoots the uh, bad like guy. At a,
0: in a face-off. Yes,
1: at the and, sewer corral. <laughs> <and> <laughs> in the a manhole <laughs> corral. The film then goes to a funeral, which is exactly how the film opened, right? Well, pretty much, yeah. The, uh, the opening uh, it opens with a number of images, including, I think. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. The it's body. a
0: lot of rebuilding this. St- right. What Vienna looks like in different parts of the city as the voiceover happens. And then there's
1: like a body floating face down the river for no particular reason. Yeah, right. It's just like that yeah, yeah, it happens it's here too. It's a
0: bad scene over here.
1: Right, but um, yeah, four
0: four police off departments and bodies right. <laughs> floating down the river. Fucking weird. It's like the cops can't do shit or right. something.
1: That's the funny. <laughs> thing. I mean, there's a thriving black market. And they can't interrupt too much because people still get things that they need, unfortunately, including bad penicillin. That's
0: the thing, right? Like, the cops have to be complicit in a black market in a situation like this where people will be starving. And I don't think they're trying for that. But it's, you know, which which things to let through and which things not to is a whole thing. Yeah. So there's a, another funeral? funeral, which they throw dirt on the thing again and Anna is there Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and Holly is there. And I'm surprised that they don't actually open the coffin there and just to fucking make Uh sure. Um, yeah. And then he's supposed to get with Callaway to go with Calloway to the airport and and get on a plane. Right. But instead he does what?
1: He gets (laughs) out of the Jeep that he's traveling in and sits by the side of the road waiting for Anna to come by this long avenue of trees he's going to speak to She's walking
0: home, basically. She's walking,
1: she's and walking. she walks by him without saying a word or looking at him.
0: She's just walking. like, "Nope." And then that's the end.
1: And that's the end of the film. So, what did you think?
0: Oh, I love it. I, I, I don't like lo- you. Love her character, and I do not love her character. Um, okay. Let me preface this. The novella, I guess, implies Mm. that they're going to end up together. I don't think they need to end up together. Anna and Martin Holly do not need to end up together at all. Mm -hmm. But I just need this woman to not cape for a child murderer. Like, when you hear facts about somebody that are in contrast to what you knew about them previously, and they don't change your mind about that person at all, I don't I don't understand how your brain works.
1: She has a line to Holly at one point in the film where she tells him, for God's sake, stop making people in your image. Yeah. Harry was real. He wasn't just your hero and my lover. He was Harry. He wasn't a racket, but uh, he did bad things. What about it? He was the man we knew. And that's an interesting kind of insight into her character Everyone in this city seems to be hustling or on the take somehow. Right. And so she's trying to justify in her mind what he's done as, is this better or worse than what everyone else has to do here to survive? I have read a really interesting opinion on this film, Mm -hmm. which is that this is like the opposite of Casablanca.
0: Interesting.
1: I have to re-watch Casablanca. Casablanca, but... again, had the emphasis on the papers. You had to have your papers right. because there was a city there where everyone mm-hmm. you know, the Germans are coming in, the French are there. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you belong? Who are you a refugee from? Right. And at the very end of that film, it's very optimistic. Yeah. You know, Ingrid Bergman goes off with her noble husband instead of the man that she actually loves. And he's able to stay on and help Claude Reigns uh, and join the resistance and that was the beginning of the war, when that film was made. This film is when the war is over, and there's just this kind of bone weary cynicism to it. Yeah. Where it has some of the same elements, because it's the same war, but now these people are broken, and Mm -hmm. the director described this whole city as a metaphor for the people who live here. They're all broken and busted up, and there are parts of it that are beautiful, but there are parts, well, they're just like potholes. There's Bombed out cars, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of problems with it.
0: Yeah. it's like building, building pile of rubble.
1: Right. And there's <laughs> a, the, the fact that they are renting out what used to be these palatial hotels. Yeah,
0: it's like when they go and visit Anna mm-hmm. wherever Anna is staying, right they're walking into through this building, they go up these stairs, they go into this building, they go down these hallways, but but you can see off of the hallways they're actually going down and going into the rooms off of these massive plazas right. inside of these buildings I'm like is this like city hall
1: right. well, like yeah. what is ha- what is this building they, there's all these ballrooms that just but, they, huge but it's spaces. now a
0: rooming house that this right. woman is running this crazy woman with a blanket over her head who speaks nothing but German the whole movie right. you don't know what the fuck she's saying she's not Dubbed or subtitled in any way, she, but she says a lot of things in this movie entirely in German, and I have no idea what she says. I would like to watch this movie with Susie.
1: That would be an interesting. Be like, what is she
0: saying? <laughs> what is she saying? I think it's like I can't believe you assholes are destroying my house. What like, I, I right. think that's the 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 tenor of it, but I don't know because I don't speak German. Right. Oh, I should ask Mike hey, what I have a friend who sets me
1: here. Well, the, I think that <laughs> that whole parallel with Casablanca is actually pretty valid, in that it's describing like an, you could almost see them as bookends for the same kind of story. What it was like before when there was people looking forward to stopping the Germans, and now that we've stopped them, it's like, what is left now? We're sort of fighting over the pieces, and we have to put this back together again. And the people that used to be, I'm sure Harry Lyme at some point was a hero, and he even makes a, a, a mention of that. And now he's like, now he's on the wrong side, because he's done something unforgivable. Really, one of the things that we should mention first of all: the performances are all very good. Everyone is really good in this movie. Um, Joseph Cotton still manages to be likable.
0: Yes, even though he is, everybody in this movie. I mean, and I guess maybe post war Mm -hmm. in a place where the war actually was right like i live post-war but Mm -hmm. i have not been in the place where the war was so it affects me differently right maybe you do have to become self-centered maybe you do have to keep that in your perspective yeah i'm i'm scrolling through and i think anna's whole thing right Uh is the one sentence a person doesn't change because you just because you find out more. Yeah. And I, it's like, I mean... Yes and no, ma'am. <laughs> because if you find out he is a murderer of women, do you feel safe going home with him still? Because if you do, I'm concerned about you and your sense of survival.
1: Hey, Graham Greene wrote the screenplay. He put a lot of really wonderful things in there. Yeah. Originally it was written for an English character or two English characters to be the protagonist. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and there were the same two English characters who there's
0: a, I mean if you believe uh-huh. um um not Rebecca. Gaslight. Right. Joseph Cotton is British. He played a British right. police officer, kinda. Well there was He a, was American as shit. He did not have an accent.
1: <laughs> there was a comedy team that showed up in several different films from different directors at the time. Um, I don't know exactly what to... Always playing different characters. They were mostly obsessed with Cricket. Uh-huh. Uh, they showed up in The Dead of Night, which is one of my favorite very early horror films. They show up in The Lady Vanishes that Hitchcock did, and they are almost like... Imagine... For a modern audience, like Jay and Silent Bob showing up in movies from other people, yeah, and they were supposed to play a part in this film too, and they, they just found up like the, the tone has just taken this yeah turn. like it's, it's like it's, it doesn't need to be that funny. It's
0: and it is pretty funny.
1: Yeah, and I think that part of Joseph Cotton's gift is to make like early in the film he walks deliberately under a ladder. Yeah, he
0: like like right off. Like it's the first fucking thing. He right, does. <laughs> and I literally was like, "Sir, right. <laughs> like especially in a war torn, crumbling ass city, don't walk under the ladder. What are you doing?" He, there's a there's a line where mm-hmm. Callahan Callaway, <laughs> I'm literally looking at the Callaway. I'm English, not mm-hmm. Irish. The Callaway line where he says he says, he says the. To Holly, mm-hmm. Oh, that's what it was. You were born to be murdered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like...) <"Whoa." laughs> you yeah. were born to be murdered is such a real, like <laughs> like judgment of um of how this man is functioning in this world
1: it's he he's just kind of like a a, a very cheerful dolt at times and yeah and he
0: like even says when he he introduces himself to, to anna as i'm just a hack writer who drinks too much and falls in love with girls and then uh he does when he acquiesces to be uh to be the decoy mm-hmm. he says I'll be your dumb
1: decoy duck <laughs> like,
0: he just really cartoonifies
1: it he's, he's really funny um, Joseph Cotton is I mean, we, we made this parallel before well, well we'll make the parallel now but we've talked before about Janet Lee, how she wasn't a great actress but she appears in several of the films that we're watching on our list you know, as she worked with Hitchcock, she worked with Orson Welles. She worked, she, you know, we'll be seeing a, a lot of her actually, mm-hmm. um, because she knew how to choose people, mm-hmm. and so she could also be almost like a blank slate that she could project things on. And Joseph Cotton kind of plays that sort of ne'er do well character. There's a there's a lot going on in this film. Supposedly, there was the idea originally that it invented the Dutch angle. And what that means is that the camera is slightly tilted or canted at such an angle. Yes. To
0: this movie is what you show to somebody to tell them what Dutch angles are. Mm-hmm. Like, right. It is. Te- it is textbook. It. You and
1: know. I imagine the term Dutch angle comes from the fact that it come the they were usually uh, originally used for German expressionist films.
0: Oh right. Like okay, Like Deutsch, so it would be like Deutsch yeah. angles.
1: Um, like Dr. Caligari and things, which takes place in an asylum or with insa- uh, insane characters, and so the camera's canted at an angle, and when you look at it inside the aspect ratio sure that it's supposed to be seeing, which is basically a square, not like a, an extra wide image like we have now. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a square. Right. Of subject, and, I mean. and there are directors now who still use that. Mm-hmm. Um, most notably, Sam Raimi uses it all the time. Sam Raimi does use it well, a lot, because he, because he likes it. to do... Right. He's whip, thing, physical
0: things with the right. camera. He likes to do a lot of that, put it on a weird dolly that'll make it move in a way where you're like, "What? Right. Why is this moving like that? And this? Uh,
1: also, uh, Terry Gilliam uses it a lot. <laughs> okay, that makes... Yeah,
0: that makes sense.
1: He does, especially, I guess, I was listening to a, a review of this film and it mentioned and Loathing Las Vegas.
0: Mm, where we can't stop here. his whole right. idea
1: is... Uh, to try to get across what it feels like to be drunk or to be high. Be it's high kind of yeah. it's Just exactly, the it feels like. yeah. The funny part is that William Wyler, the director, mm-hmm. who we'll see later on, he directed Ben Hur. He directed The Big Country.
0: I love The Big Country.
1: Is a, as a joke, he sent this director a carpenter's like a level. Level.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <And> he said, <laughs> you can use this on the next film. <laughs> and it was, yeah. That's like sending like um, like a light damper to J.J. J. Abrams for right. his fucking lens flares. They hey,
1: flash- don't even need to happen anymore. No, those That's are done like in post.
0: totally a thing in the ass, <laughs> It's not right. real. It's not actually happening. So this, I want to talk a little bit about this movie. This is a British-ass movie. This is mm-hmm. a British right. movie. We are watching the AFI's top thrills. Mm-hmm. The AFI claims this shit in a way that the BFI should probably slap the shit out of them. But the British claim a lot of stuff that isn't there, so maybe they don't feel like they
1: need to talk to somebody. The British claim that this is the greatest English film ever made. Yes. And I think that in terms of, because the English have a different sensibility about pacing in particular, where you can sit there and go, oh, I'm going to watch Lawrence of Arabia, and then four hours later you're like, oh my god.
0: Yeah, no, this one is... A reasonable length. It's 108 minutes, and it
1: just and it goes, it goes it zips along. So it's it's probably it communicates. And if
0: something is not actively happening or people aren't actively talk, mm-hmm. talking, what do we have? The best goddamn zither score no, of all time. This is the interesting
1: thing. <laughs> the director of the film picked up Anton Karas like completely by accident. Like he met him by accident. He was sitting a cafe, listening to the zither music go on, and he had been looking for a score for this film. Right. Okay, interesting. And so I suppose the idea is he'd been all over Vienna, so scouting locations and things like that. Yeah. And so he kept hearing zither music in the background, and he heard this particular man playing the zither.
0: Yeah. And, and he it took, is the Vienna soundtrack right, at this he point. He just approached
1: like... him and says, if I'm going to capture this city, which he really does, yeah. at this period of time... I need, I, need I need that music. And, okay, and this soundtrack
0: is all one man playing right. one stringed instrument. If you don't know what a zither is, it is a... It's about the size of the body of a guitar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not that shape. It's more like a trapezoid. And it has a lot of strings on it. And you can play it either with your fingers or with picks. Mm. My mother had one. I wish I had gotten it when she passed. Mm. I got her guitar, but I couldn't find the zither. I didn't know where it was. Um, and I could only be in that house for like 15 minutes and then I had to get out. Right. So, um, but so that is a thing that my mother would play, which is weird. So, because no, zither is a very odd You know, this is why zither is famous. Exactly, this is it. This
1: is, this is <laughs> the, uh, I was reading about the zither because I'm like, well, Anton Karas. this is what he did. Yeah. What he, um, Carol Reed took him to his house and kept him there. Like, Carol Reed's house in London. And had worked with him on the score. And Anton Karas is like, I, I don't know how to compose music. I don't know how to do what you're asking me. And I imagine they just looked at the screen while the scene's going on, and he's playing as if it he's playing,
0: yeah. What would you play? Yeah. Right. Which is how you write music, but if you don't know how to do that. Right. I don't know that I can do that, but
1: he can. He but did. He did, and then became an international sensation overnight. He played for Princess Margaret, who loved the zither. Apparently, tried to learn how to play it's herself. It's
0: such an interesting It doesn't sound like no. anything else. It is a very distinctive
1: I saw a clip sound of the Beatles, and I think it's the mm. same recording session that wound up in the they Beatles They liked documentary. a lot of
0: sitar, and then zither right. came in as well. Doing
1: the theme to the third man just as they're tuning their instruments. That's funny and apparently it's a very distinctive
0: yeah, he set played... like it goes with this movie and we were talking about what mm-hmm. are the musical things that are inseparable from the, right or movies that are inseparable from the music even it's not the, the music because it is a score often right. automatically um associates like when you hear this piece of music you are so you associate this visual or this character but the other way around is rare, rarer. When mm. you hear Jaws, yeah, there's music that you think of immediately. When you, oh, I thought of another one, Halloween. Yes, exactly. Halloween is another one, and this is another one. Right. Where you hear the third man, and if you have seen the movie,
1: it's so distinctive.
0: You know exactly right. you, that music comes to your head. It is so distinctive. It is so catchy. It really is. That tune is like. The theme... The
1: fact that he came up with... He just, like, started spontaneously composing this is really interesting. He played it all over the world. He traveled to Japan. He traveled to Europe. All over Europe, you know, which is where he's from. And the States, apparently. And then he settled into Vienna, bought a cafe, and then that cafe, because he would play there, started getting crowded with celebrities. He's like, no, just all of you leave me alone. And he retired early. Yeah. Because he had no that intention. That was not what
0: he was, he right. was going to play in cafes in his right. hometown or whatever. Yeah. That, yeah, it wasn't his, his plan. Um, oh, but I wanted to talk a little bit about, because we're watching the AFI top, mm-hmm. top things. So, AFI, yes, has capped, like BFI, this is their number right. one British film. I believe AFI's top, I think, is still Casablanca. Right. Um. It goes back and forth between Cas- Casablanca and uh, the other Orson Wells. Susan Gayton. Susan Gayton. So I don't know what their current one is. They update it every 10 years, but it's usually between those two. Um, but the other places that it exists in AFI's sort yeah. of rankings are. It's number five in their top ten, top ten, top ten, which is they. (laughs) I know they did ten genres. We were gonna do them, but we didn't agree with their genres or their choices. But this is number Mm. five in their mystery, right? Um, And it is a good mystery. It it is a good mystery. Yeah. Who is the third man? Also, who is the third man? I think is the tagline for the movie. Yeah. It is the theme. It is the plot. Like it. It really encompasses a lot of stuff, which. It's hard to do. Like, that's some tight writing. Um, it plays 75th on the 100 Years, 100 Thrills, which is what we're talking about, right? And Harry Lyme is listed as the 37th villain on their 100, villains, uh, 100 heroes and villains.
1: And I really... I think that Orson Welles... And he's in this movie
0: for... Seven minutes?
1: Well, he's in there for a little bit longer, but he's... Basically, his scenes add up to about that. Yeah. I mean, because there's a lot of it where he's not speaking, he's being chased around. Yeah. Um, Yes, you
0: physically see an Orson mm -hmm. Welles face or hear an Orson Welles voice for maybe four minutes. But it is maybe 10, 15 of his body running or whatever, but it's mostly he is not in this movie. He is despite being the titular third man <laughs> um, because guys the body was not Harry Lime. that's that's the thing the body was somebody else right so that's why he's the third man the, um, <laughs> um, yeah, he, but he's not in it very much no no he's not this movie was up for best director best cinematography black and white because I guess right, for a while not. they split it and best film editing it only won cinematography uh academy awards. Uh Carol Reed uh won the best British film of the British Film Academy British Academy Film Awards at that time. Uh also uh it won the Palme d'Or at Can- at Cannes. Um and it was nominated for a directors guild and a national uh, board of review, but it did not win those. Um but yeah, it has gone on to be like one of. Well, he. See. The most allotted films
1: in film history. David Selznick did not want Orson Welles to appear in the film. He wanted it to, the par- part to be played by Noel Coward, who huh. made appearances in films but wasn't really a film actor. Uh. Carol Reed assembled a group of people to do this film that were just phenomenal. Graham Greene wrote the screenplay, which is like a great novelist, Brighton Rock, Ministry of Fear, that guy. You know, he wrote the screenplay. Um, The Quiet American, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Our Man in Havana, he's a brilliant writer. Mm-hmm. As I said, I'm very familiar with his work. He's mm-hmm. very good. Uh, John Glenn was the the editor. John Glenn uh, and he was responsible for helping put together the whole chase scene at the end.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: On the basis of that, he wound up later directing four of the James Bond films. Yeah. Because he knew how to handle action yeah. in limited spaces and confines and things like that. Um, and the cast, the international cast they, they assembled, really had... They really communicated so much of that kind of weariness.
0: Yeah. And yeah, there were great faces throughout right. the movie. Um, and even our main people, like, Wells and Cotton are American. They're the mm-hmm. only American. Right. Them and David O. Selznick are the only American links right. to make this an American film.
1: But Otherwise, I mean, it's a British film. I mean, it, it can, you can make the excuse that it was, like, American money, because Selznick, of course, worked Sure, out. which... But he didn't, he didn't care for the, the the ending of the film. He wanted the characters to get together, like, in the book. Like but, in the book, right. But what Joseph Codden said, and I, I heard an interview with him today, surprisingly, it was, it's near the end of his life, he's suffering from um, throat cancer. Or he's suffering from laryngitis, that's what he tells people, you find out later on that he had throat cancer. Right. Um, oh, and that he, as his voice was going, he was calling Orson every day and they were still talking to each other, yeah. which is very sweet. Uh, but his wife Patricia Medina talked about the effect of this film on people. That he went to go see it in Vienna. There was a film festival, mm. and they had they invited him to the sewer. And she's like, I, "I married him in 1960. This was years after he'd done this film. So right. like, we're going to my first trip to Vienna. We're going into the sewer. Mm-hmm. So he goes, so <laughs> right? So first <laughs> she goes, I was, I was sort of put off by that, but then I realized they set up this enormous kind of banquet hall yeah. in the sewer, and it was an not a sewer the way that you think right. of a sewer. And it certainly okay. wasn't the sewer yeah. the way that they had in the film, right. I mean, because yeah, it's like a spillway now. But, uh, but uh, one of the things I learned about Joseph Cotton is that he has a very pronounced southern accent in real life really he's from virginia he
0: really got rid of he has a mid-atlantic You're right real well
1: but when he was just casually interviewed it's like what am he i doing what is his thing with his voice but he also talked about that final shot because apparently one of the they were shooting this film they were shooting on a very tight schedule yeah David Selznick was not handing out the cash the way he did when you were filming in the States. You are filming in Austria. I don't know if that's Yeah, nice right. Down. We don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to lose my money, so you need to shoot it fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so John Glenn, produ- the uh, editor, talks about everyone just sort of like being up all night. She goes, There's a crew of people all on Benzedrine behind the camera going, Quick, let's <laughs> get the shot. Um, and uh, that. So everyone's sort of irritable and whatever during the making of it, because they were up all night. So much of that, and I'm sure you appreciate that, because you have issues with day-for-night photography. I don't love it. It's, it's hard. It's, yes. It
0: works better in black and white, I think. Right. But, yeah, it's, it's it, tough. It is not, but they shot at night. Yeah. So they're up all night. No, and the shadows tell yes. me. There is no day-for-night in this thing. This thing is all shadow. Yeah. I mean, it is... Which is, I mean, I guess why, because I'm seeing that it was adapted into a radio play. Yes. Um, and then it was adapted into, there was
1: a prequel series? Yes, with guess who? Uh, Orson Welles. No, no, there well, was a prequel series.
0: Well, I'm starting with The Adventures of Harry Lyon. on
1: the radio, right. On the
0: radio, and Wells did repli- repli- uh, reprise then, his role, but as a, <laughs> this is what Wikipedia says. A somewhat less nefarious adventurer anti-hero than the sociopathic opportunist depicted in the film, which is <laughs> absolutely on the point. <laughs> which and is exactly what he right, is, exactly. and he makes it very clear in that in Ferris wheel where he's like, "I would never right. push and you him out of this Ferris
1: wheel if you try to cross me." People underestimate. I mean, of course, he's a great actor, but like casual things like that, it's easy to see how great he's doing yeah. when he's being you know, when he's doing the Scottish play or something. Yeah. Or Lear. It's not so easy when you're seeing him play a person in modern dress who's just very casually talking about pushing his friend out of a Ferris wheel.
0: Yeah. Um, so there were 52 of those episodes, um, several of which that Orson Welles wrote. And then uh, there was a television spinoff. With? Michael Rennie? Michael Rennie, two Yes. Playing? Uh, playing Harry Lime for yeah. Five Seasons. Uh, seventy-seven episodes filmed, and um, he had a sidekick, Roger Moore guest stars in one yeah, of the them. Yeah, sidekick was
1: Jonathan Harris, who played Doctor Smith in the original Lost in Space. Oh, okay. Which is is terribly funny. It's, I almost want to see what that looks like now. It's like I can't even imagine. So
0: in those, he was like a lovable anti like he's like if i watched those mm-hmm. maybe i'd understand anna's motivations
1: yeah that was kind of <laughs> like, the idea is that he was playing a rogue and this is the apex of what he it feels like at this what they had led up to was that this penicillin thing when he's talking about how uh these people are ants or dots beneath them in the Ferris wheel that he's trying to justify for himself what he's done like he doesn't like it at all. Um, But I don't know. It's hard to tell because he does do such a good job of just being that guy who could be your best friend or he could be pushing out of a Ferris wheel or he could be poisoning children. And he doesn't, yeah, he's hard to read in the period of time that we're given, which actually makes his character more intriguing, I think.
0: Yeah. I don't, yeah, it's interesting. So that's, I think, is yeah. that, did we talk about everything we wanted to talk about? There's a lot to talk about with this movie.
1: Yeah, you should just, uh, highly recommend it to watch it. In the audience. Go watch the watch movie. Watch it. It's super good. Yes.
0: It's not very long. So don't feel like, oh, it's an, oh, it's an old like, My movie's going to be so long. It's good. You'll like it. The zither music is bomb. Really? All right. You guys next week? We're going in a totally different direction. Now for something completely different. We are going to be watching 1982's Blade Runner. Well, not so different in a way. <laughs> we're going to watch the one on Netflix, the final cut. Y'all, there are 70... You all know, there are 75 different versions of this damn movie. Whatever you can watch is what you should watch. We are going to watch the Netflix one, mm-hmm. the final cut. That's what we're going to watch. It's like two hours See, but I
1: like it. We've come full circle. We've done... Original generation noir, and now we're doing neo noir.
0: Neo noir, yes. Um, I remember this movie being very slow, so we'll see how how, I don't much know I how think this it version is, of it as is a, 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 as thrilling. Um, but yeah, that is what we are watching next week. So please watch along with us. That, that's an easy one because Netflix. Right.
1: Um,
0: I do presume everybody has it. It's a big presumption of me, but I'm doing it anyway. Uh, in the meantime. You probably don't have anything to... I highly recommend watching The Third Man. Recommend. There you go. We're recommending The Third Man. Um, He's <laughs> a
1: hell of a great movie. And yeah, it's it's a kind of film that, sadly, they don't make much of anymore. Do you recommend something? Um. I don't know. I haven't really been...
0: I recommend listening to me on an upcoming episode of Timeline Scavengers. So, uh, my friends James and Colin do a podcast called Timeline Scavengers. They are discussing every scene in the MCU chronologically.
1: That is a feat.
0: It's going to go on, it's designed to go on forever. So, probably, yeah. uh, I'm on there in the not terribly distant future talking about some captain america first avenger baby so we are in the 1940s just like in this movie yes uh and um i'll I'll put a link to their show in the show notes if you want to check them out they uh their conceit is also that if something happens in something that is released now that happens before something they already did they will just Drop it where it goes in the
1: feed. So yeah, I asked that because I was good thinking, luck trying to figure out where to start. I was Ooh. thinking about the Eternals and how mm-hmm. the first third of the film takes place in almost literally prehistoric time. Well, think
0: about where in lo- where in time does Loki go?
1: That's true, but I, I that's almost that's a hard one because it's outside of time.
0: But well, yes, yes, that is a separate issue um but they go back in time they go mm-hmm. to like the various places where there are divides right for one stop and you know outside of pompeii well i, right? I can also like,
1: imagine it'll get really messy when they start doing the uh, infinity wars i mean excuse me not the infinity wars the um oh the multiverse stuff no not the multiverse things well the that too final avengers film admit. where they're all together end where they go back in time to confront other versions of themselves yes. and revisit the original. So then, film.
0: which, uh, yeah, and they're doing all of that, and they're also doing like they're doing what if. Mm-hmm. So alternate we're talking timeline. about Captain yeah. Captain America and the alternate. There's an episode of What If that distinctly goes along side by side, and then breaks off. Mm-hmm. So they're going back and forth between the two. Yeah, I don't know how they keep it. Straight, but they're doing it, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk some Captain good, America with good. them. So, uh, timeline scavengers on uh, the Scavengers Network, the Scavengers Podcast Network, and I will link them in the show notes. Uh, until next week, when we're talking Blade Runner, will there be a voiceover? Who knows? I actually like the voiceover
1: because it. I
0: don't know what the final cut refers.
1: L- l- that- keep me in but keep doesn't I know that he, director, did not particularly care for the voiceover, so I think that might have been scrapped. So I, I don't know where I'm going to be. Who
0: directed that one?
1: Ridley Scott. It is another Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm.
0: We're going Ridley Scott, Carol Reed, Ridley Scott. Right. Wow. Damn, Ridley Scott. Thrilling, I guess. That makes sense. All right. So we're going to talk about that. If you have questions or comments or concerns you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at latecomerspod or you can find us on facebook by searching Podcast in the search bar I implore you to take your medicines and we would like to remind you that early than never, never.